Um, as I said, my name's Dave. I'm uh, married to a wonderful lady called Kaz. We've got three kids. We, we've been in London for 10 years with Pete and Linda. And then last year, uh, we, me and my family, we moved out and we started leading a church near High Wycombe. And I've just personally always just had a real passion for the presence of God and the power of God and that kind of in most of our worlds gets kind of termed the prophetic um, but in my brain it's not really the prophetic and I tend to do far more evangelism than prophesying so but it just kind of couples in so I thought this today what I'd like to do is I'd really like to just facilitate a bit of a conversation between us all around how do we develop a prophetic culture within our churches our communities and ultimately like what is that language like, I don't know about you, but what does it actually even mean, a prophetic culture? Is it just something that's quite trendy that we've started saying in the last three years? Or does it actually mean something? And if it does, what is it and what are we trying to build? So I'm going to ask you some questions because I'm going to shape some of my talk um, around how you answer these questions. So the first question is, hands up if you uh, lead a prophetic team or a prophetic group in your church. So no one in the room is leading any sort of team. Okay. So there's another interesting. So I would actually like a few of you to just tell me why you're in why you're in the room. Then, not because it's a bad question, but I just need to understand who I'm talking to to shape this kind of conversation that we need to have. So if we're talking about developing a prophetic culture, um, what have you come into the room maybe to sort of understand and learn to build into your churches? So I know it might be thinking, oh my god, like. How do I answer this question? But we can, we can have a, a wide-ranging discussion today, and my primary intention is to facilitate you where you're at to build what you feel God's called you to do. Um, so it's going to have to be a bit back and forth. Um, so it'd be really helpful if someone was brave enough to say, this is what I want to see happen either in my church or community, and hence why I'm in this room rather than any of the other rooms today. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm uh, one of the eldership team to our church, um, one of the leaders, and just, yeah, really keen for the for God speaking, of God's presence and God's power, but God speaking being really important in the life of our church and the the body of the church growing in that and seeing that the, the gift emerge as, as God will encourage and what we can do to flourish that amongst the church. Okay. Church. Great. Any other people? Be really helpful because you need to contribute. Yeah, so I'm Lee. Um, we've just planted into Burton from Derby, and uh, so we're a small group of people. But um, I'd like to lead a team, not with that. Yeah, see growth. Okay. I think uh, for me, Paul, um, here at Derby, the the, whole, the word culture really resonated with me. What, what what does that mean? It's something about the heartbeat and natural movement of expression of God in our midst so a, a how do you develop a culture like that within a church there are people with gifting and so forth etc but actually in every area of, of, of church if it's truly a culture it will be open to that and how do you develop that culture great just a couple more just oh, okay. oh I should be honest apparently <laughs> I do need a prophetic group <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So just a couple more people. Um, I have led a small group um, doing some prophetic worship and creative worship. And I'd like to 
sort of discuss how we get that into church, like not just on Friday morning when we do it. And also, I'm one of like two or three people who regularly shares in church, but I want to see other people in the church yeah. sharing as well. Yeah. Can I ditto that? Because yeah. it's similar with our group. But also an observation that I come from a generation that actually pioneered a lot of the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the church and fought for that. But I notice that in the circle of churches where we are, that it's the my age, basically. And so you can look around there. And, and actually, the, the, the youth generation are not hungry and thirsty for that aspect. And so that, I think, is a, is a real challenge. Mm. Okay. Cool. Well, I, I think in many ways we're kind of at ground zero. So one of the best things that anyone can do is to create a safe place to try some stuff out. So that's what we're going to just do right now. So this is a really simple way to create a safe place. So I'm just, you can just, I'm just going to talk you through creating a safe place and you just have to learn by what I model. So in a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand up in two lines and we're going to face each other. I'm going to ask one line to be team one and one line to be team two. And literally, we're going to prophesy over <coughs> one another. And, and to be frank, some of our prophecies will just be imaginative thought. And it will just be kind of encouraging. And it might not be that empowered by the Spirit of God. But just like the first time someone preaches, it's not really that powerful. Um, it's a gift that we can grow and we can train. And so, you know, at its very basic, the prophetic is hearing God's voice or asking to hear God's voice and then opening your mouth. And so we can actually just really take that at a very simple level. And the idea, as Andy mentioned earlier, it's not success. We're not looking for prophetic words that change a person's life. We're just looking at the ability to put people in a room and say, you know what, it's okay to have a go. Mm. And then while people are having a go, you can just sit, simply notch up how, how much detail you press into. So we're just going to do that for the next five, ten minutes. So everyone on this side of the room, why don't you stand up and kind of make a nice long line around your aisle. And then everyone on this side of the room, you need to stand opposite. So we've got two lines. Um, also, opposite yeah, just join in. Great, so you need to spread out along the room. Fantastic. So team one is on this side. And team two is on this side, and everyone needs a partner. So you're going to have to move up and move up a partner. I didn't see the gap. Okay. Do you want me to go this side? Do you want the space? I'll go here. Someone might need to swap the side. We moved down. Okay, so we're going to start at this end. Okay, so together, 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 together. So you're doing each other. Together. So team one is on this side yeah. and I want you to just in the next ten seconds to think of a colour. Just pick a colour on team one. Any colour. And now and now you've got a colour in your mind, just ask God to speak to you. What does that colour mean to you? And then you're going to go over to the person in team two and you've got 20 seconds to share something that's encouraging around that colour that builds the person up or brings comfort to them. Off you go. Stop prophesying. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
So team two, I would now like you to think of any type of vehicle that you want to. <laughs> Car, motorbike, whatever you want. Okay, so you've now got 10 seconds to think of a vehicle. Right, okay. So just ask Holy Spirit, bring a vehicle into my mind. And now you've got 15 seconds to ask God why that vehicle, and then you've got to turn it into a prophetic word when I say go in 15 seconds time. Okay, go. Stop prophesying. Great. So there you go. There's, there's just some very simple two ways of helping your people in a room learn to encourage one another. Okay, it's really quite nice, very simple, and it just kind of breaks something off. So hands up in the room if you feel that you were encouraged in the last... Good, isn't it? That's quite nice, isn't it? Okay, so let's, um, let's just notch it up a little bit and let's see if we can practice a few simple words of knowledge. Okay, so team one, I want you to ask Holy Spirit to give you the name of someone in team two. As in, so like, you know, so Linda here would be looking at Paul and saying, Holy Spirit, can I have a name of someone in Paul's family? Could be a surname, could be an aunt's name, could be an uncle's name, could be a child's name. Doesn't matter, we're just asking for a name. Okay, so you've, you've got 20 seconds to ask the Holy Spirit for a name and then I'll give you 10 seconds to think why God has brought that name to mind and what you might, God might want to speak to that person about that name. And pretty much guaranteed there'll be tons of failure. And you know what? <laughs> failure is brilliant because it meant that you gave it a go. And we celebrate obedience and there has to be a place to practice. And ultimately, a place to fail safely is fun and it's okay. You can't learn words of knowledge unless you practice them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to practice. So you've got 20 seconds to think of a name and a few more seconds to think about why that name and what it might mean. And I imagine that at least... 60, 70% of the room will get this wrong. So don't worry about it. You'll probably, if you get it right, you'll be the exception. Right, off you go. Great, stop. So um, one of the most crucial things you need to do at this moment as a leader is not ask the people that got it right to put their hand up. Because you've just said we celebrate having a go and then you do the complete opposite and celebrate success. So just take a moment to say, who had a go? Put your hands up if you had a go. Well done. <laughs> because as we try to step into a culture, we actually often have to fight against our old culture of wanting to actually know, did anyone get it right? Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. actually have to almost hold yourself yeah. back. So even me, I have to think, no, no, don't ask the question. I, you have to still train myself. Yeah. No, did we give it a go? Brilliant, well done. Some of you got it right, some of you got it wrong. Doesn't really matter. So team two, I'm gonna ask you to think of something that is in Team One's bedroom. Okay, so you're going to ask the Holy Spirit for a word of knowledge, and don't just say a bed. Okay? What colour are their sheets? Have they got a particular lamp? Okay, off you go. So Team Two, you're asking for something that's in their bedroom, something unique. And my last game, you can both teams can play this with one another at the same time. Uh, we call it the Purple Dinosaur Game. So what I'd like you to do is for both teams to imagine a purple dinosaur. Actually, let's just switch the teams up. So the people, uh, team two, the person at the top, can you come all the way down to the bottom and then everyone will just move up one, just to mix it up. Okay, so teams one and two, you're both thinking of a purple dinosaur. 
off you go. Ask Holy Spirit to bring a purple dinosaur to mind. Your purple dinosaur might be big, he might be small, it might be whatever. But now I want you to ask Holy Spirit to change one thing about the purple dinosaur. Okay, and team two, you're going to go first and you're going to describe what you saw changed and why, and just bring it into a prophetic word. So you might have seen a bandage on the knee, you might have seen them putting a hat on, doesn't matter what it is, but you saw a change and then prophesy of the change. So team two, prophesy to team one. So one of the things that I've learned developing primarily what I'd call prophetic teams, so Pete and Linda were actually part of a team that we, so I just began to develop at Trinity and now that these guys actually lead it and a lot of time we just spent together reading scripture and then just practicing different things. So I remember one evening we put everyone's name in a hat and we asked people to pull out a name and they didn't know what, whose name they had and then they had to prophesy over that person and then after they'd given the word to see if they got the name right. And you know, so they, or you blindfold people and you prophesy whoever's behind you. But just anything you can do that helps people to keep asking Holy Spirit what are you saying and to do it in a safe place and often what I've noticed is that when you create a a small group where that's happening then when it comes into the workplace or a Sunday morning context actually that group that have been trained their prophetic words are far more powerful far more accurate and we get that kind of what the scriptures say in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 we know and they prophesied and it cut them to the heart. And then you know, it's like that it was revealed to them. And you think, oh, that's, that's what we want. We, with the prophetic, we want people to go, surely God is among you. And, and we've, we've seen it in our church where we've had people walk into a meeting and they've literally been called out by their phone number or their surname or the color of their dog. And, you know, they've had an encounter with Jesus. One of our friends loves to call out the back of your bank card and they're your last three digits <laughs> and I just keep thinking can I have that next time on Amazon you know but and and I and I think it's understanding the heart of that like go, we go for detail because we we want to let the person know that God knows them the detail in some sense is irrelevant when people say yeah I get phone numbers I get addresses it's like when someone's describing to you a prophetic picture and they're like, I saw a whirlwind of a fire and a cloud and there was like this arrow going through it and then a horse. And <laughs> it's, I'm not dismissing that, but actually what is the message? And so when it's a word of knowledge, the message that is primary felt is God knows you. That's what's important. Not the phone number, not the fact they've got a bad knee or they've got a slipped disc or whatever it is, but God knows you. And it's an encounter with the love of God that radically changes people. And I think love and the prophetic, when they're not together, is a big problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've focused a lot of my teaching on. You know, so 1 Corinthians 13, the passage that we hear mostly at weddings, is sandwiched between a chapter on how to do orderly worship and spiritual gifts, and then another chapter on spiritual gifts. And you think, Paul had already spoken about marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. So if he wanted to talk about love and marriage, why was he putting it in 13? No, he was talking about love and spiritual gifts. And I think all of us have probably experienced spiritual gifts without love. And it feels like manipulation, it feels like control, it feels like performance. But when someone is loving on you, through singing a tongue or a prophetic song or praying for you or whatever it is prophesying over you, you can feel the difference. And actually it's an encounter with the heart of God 
that we all need. So that, that's just a really, a really simple thing. So I have quite a broad understanding on what I'd call dumping prophetic culture world. Um, so why don't we just open up Acts 2 together, if you've got your phone Bible or your paper Bible. So in Acts 2, it's the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes, tongues of fire. They begin to speak in other languages. People around them from other nations hear God in their their own language. And they say, what does this mean? Peter addresses the crowd and then he references this passage in Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Billow, uh, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Did, did Peter understand that the day of Pentecost meant that I could come to Linda and say, I've got a prophetic word for you about a sunflower that's going to be really helpful on a Sunday morning? Or did he mean something more than that? I think, more. <laughs> I, I think there's a genuine question because what do we really mean by prophetic culture? Do we mean the Holy Spirit gift of prophesying or do we mean what Andy was talking about which is I only do what I see my father doing you know are we we talking about prophetic culture prophetic people are we talking about the ability to prophesy what are we actually talking about and so where I'm at with this is in Acts 10 I think it's verse 38 it says that Jesus went around and did miracles and did good and how I've taken that is that Jesus did supernatural things naturally and he did natural things like kindness, generosity with supernatural power. And that's a prophetic person, mm-hmm. someone who's tuned in to what the father is saying and doing it, as Andy shared this morning. And actually, that means that a prophetic culture is very broad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Paul says in the scriptures, we can all prophesy. And, you know, most of us are in churches that are probably slightly larger than 40 And even if there was just 40 people in your church, if you had 40 prophetic words on a Sunday morning, you would have no meeting. You would have no songs. You would, you know. So all can prophesy, yes. And there is a whole world. And there are 6 billion people that need a word of encouragement right now. And so I think taking our prophetic Sunday morning hat off is really important. So when I'm trying to train a team... There is an expectation that we want to hear prophetic stuff on a Sunday morning. But actually, I want to train people to use it outside of the church. Because the world outside needs to hear the encouragement of God. Probably far more than the church does. And so, I think there are some things that we just need to just beg the question and say, is prophecy for Sunday morning? Or is it for everyone, everywhere? And is is a prophetic culture... The ability to prophesy, or is it the the ability to hear the Father's voice, and maybe in one moment it's an act of kindness, in another moment it's a prayer for healing, another moment you cooked a dinner and took it over to your neighbour's house, the next moment you bought a card from Tesco's that was a sympathy card, because you're the only person that knew, knew in your office that that person lost someone in their family, and you engaged with their pain. You know, what is a prophetic culture? Because it says in my, in my Bible that Jesus had compassion, and then he was moved. Mm. And that word compassion means that his soul, his very core being, was moved. Mm. And I think that's what being a prophetic person is. And so a prophetic person, if you've got five prophetic people together, then you're beginning to get a prophetic culture. And you see this in scripture. So we're, I'm sure you're all aware of the story. Saul, Saul uh, sends off one of 
one of his kind of army guys over to um, Samuel to get a prophetic word. Doesn't work out too well. His guy starts prophesying. He sends another and another and another. And eventually he himself goes and it says, what, is Saul now considered among the prophets? You know this scripture? Yeah, Yeah, we know this story. What happened there? Saul came under a corporate anointing. And what I've tended to notice that if you go into prophetic churches that have prophetic culture, everyone's ability to hear God's voice goes up. So the question is, how do we help? How do we help? And I think one of the ways that we can help is we we have to have a pastoral language, actually, that sounds like, oh, that's really interesting that you're telling me that. I hear what you're saying. What do you think God's saying about that? So you hold back from what you want to say. You hold back from your favourite Bible verse, Mm -hmm. quoting Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, (laughs) for I know the plans he has to you, plans to benefit you. You know, you hold back. So what's God saying about that? And you develop a pastoral language that is God-orientated and the Father's voice orientated. Because the prophetic is not detached from the rest of the gifts. It's not detached from apostolic. It's not detached from teaching. It's this primary perspective. Father, what are you saying? What are you saying? So I would really encourage you, if you're, if you're here and you're thinking, I want to have a prophetic culture in, in my church. I would encourage you to just begin a conversation with your leaders and say, we'd like to see the prophetic grow. And they would say, okay, so what do you mean by that? And actually you can frame it around saying, well, we want to be a people that hear God's voice and do as he says. And I can't imagine any of your leaders saying no to that. And then they might ask you, how are you going to do that? And you say, well, who do you think are the most kind of prophetic people in the church? Begin to gather them. You know, when you gather the worship team and you let them worship together, your worship gets better. When you gather those that love apologetics, your ability to argue the gospel gets better. When you gather evangelists and you release them, evangelism goes up. Mm. When you gather prophetic people, what do you think happens? The prophetic goes up. And so there's this sense of just gathering. And uh, Joe McCulloch and myself, we've, we've both been through this process of gathering prophetic people in the churches that we're connected to and just saying, for the first year, just gather, basically, and don't really attempt to do anything or shape anything, but just gather and learn to create a safe place amongst yourselves. Because you'll find that as you gather and as you talk and as you dialogue, and maybe you might want to go through Phil Wilfew's book. Um, it's Phil Wilfew's A Guy King's Arms, who's got a book called Developing a Prophetic Culture. So it's quite a good like, manual that I'd encourage you to just literally go through chapter by chapter in a small group you will have to create a safe place amongst yourselves because your issues will come up together. And it's quite challenging when you prophesy in six and one person does get the surname of someone in the family and one person does get the item in the bedroom and five of you didn't. And it begins to push on insecurity and performance. And then you start looking at each other and you start thinking... Am I more prophetic than you? Well, clearly I am. Or am I less prophetic than you? Oh, maybe I shouldn't be in this group. You know, and, and actually that initial embryonic group, how they begin to work out that actually will define the bigger picture. Because either they will represent something that's really healthy or they will represent something that's actually quite performance orientated and about them. And so, you know, you'll, you'll see this even this morning as, as Graham mentioned 
Sashi, one of our friends, he came forward, he had something he didn't share. Joe shared a tongue, me and Dave Felly both had an interpretation, and I just stepped back and, Dave, you're, you're a father in the faith, let's go with you. You know, it's not about me, it's about him. Mm-hmm. You know, but we, we have to actually experience those things and live them through for ourselves. And it takes time. Mm-hmm. Healing of the heart takes time. Another thing I'd like us to practice in a moment is um, prophetic people are called to be uh, thermostats, not thermometers. And so our job in a, in a Sunday meeting or in a small group or in a pastoral conversation is to bring in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. It's literally to bring in the presence of God. And, and so... This is a bit daring, and I don't, I'm, I'm not seeking to dishonour this morning's meeting, but I'd quite like to talk it through in quite an open way for the sake of everyone in the room. So, I need to phrase this really well, so give me a moment. Okay. If, the, if the day of Pentecost was a level 10 encounter with God, as in there was nothing higher than that. And, and the ministry time we had at the end of the meeting was a level seven. You know, so there was some people falling on the floor, some people being delivered. There's probably some healing happened that we haven't yet heard about. Before we sang the Hillsong song, Beautiful Name, Hands up if you'd rate the presence of God above a three. So everyone is saying that before before we sung Beautiful Name, it is, it, the presence of God was at a lower level than a three, as in the intensity. Uh, is that what everyone's saying in the room? Does everyone understand the question? No. You're saying it's above a three? Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Well done for being brave. Yeah, I think so. I'd agree. After the tongues. So there was there was two songs. Then Andy got up and talked about uh, don't think about your pain or your provision, but think about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Then there was uh, sort of just some playing and some singing. But nothing like a no defined song. And then Joe came up, spoke in tongues, they fairly interpreted, then I sung just sung the name of Jesus, and then we sang beautiful name. Okay, before that okay. definitely a five or six for me. Okay. Yeah, I thought the presence of God yeah. went up after he said, Don't think about your yeah. pain. You know, really focus on Jesus. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I would agree with that. I would say that was yeah. the moment that lift lift brought in. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think we're on the same track. So I find it really interesting when you come to a presence-orientated conference, there's almost this kind of, and we can do this at church on Sunday so often, we want the God of the breakthrough to turn up, so we almost focus on the breakthrough rather than focusing on the personal breakthrough. 
And as prophetic people in your congregations on a Sunday morning, we've all had those Sunday mornings where it just feels like you're stirring the porridge. <laughs> you're just like, oh my yeah. God, like what's <laughs> happening? And, and prophetic people in that context have two choices. They can either moan and bitch that the song wasn't good enough, it wasn't their song, the PA was terrible, or they can start praying in tongues. And you've got a choice in that moment. And, and so actually this morning, the first two songs, it wasn't that they were bad songs, and it wasn't that the spontaneous singing was bad, but I was thinking, no, no, we haven't yet made enough of Jesus. Like, we cannot be asking God for stuff until we fully glorified his son. And so Andy was the first person to say, no, no, we need to push into Jesus. And then slowly and surely, we began to push into Jesus. And the more we made much of Jesus, the more Holy Spirit was like coming and coming. And then it was getting to the point where I was thinking, actually, if we don't sing a song that everyone knows that's about Jesus, we're going to be stuck at like a level. And there is so much more for us. And as prophetic people in the worship context, I want to encourage you, make your church about Jesus. Yeah. Like, just lift up the name of Jesus all the time. If your prophetic contributions, you know, how is it glorifying Jesus? How is he the main focus? How is his name being lifted up? How is he being honoured? And actually, what, I, what I've noticed over the years of doing this is that you basically, you hit a level that you become comfortable in and then you slip into the pastoral. And, and you kind of, you're going up this mountain where you're getting into more and more of God's glory. And it starts getting a bit uncomfortable, to be honest. And then you're like, okay, it's time to pray for people. Someone must be sick. Someone must need a job. Someone's marriage must be, someone's dealing with pornography. And you, you, you're going up the mountain of glory and then you look at the people. And that's where you capped out on the presence of God. And so I... I I spent a bit of time with Julian Adams and I've watched him do it a number of times. And in the place of worship, you can see a couple of people have come up to the front at maybe Catalyst Festival, which is the sphere that I belong to, or King's Arms, a church that I serve quite a lot. And they'll come up and they'll be like, I think, yeah, I think we need to pray for people. And Julian will always say, no, not yet. And he'll often stand up and he'll say something like this. If you've ever seen him, he'll say, God's spirit comes like a wave. Just keep lifting up the name of Jesus. Just keep pressing into Jesus. And it just gets more and more and more intense. And actually, some people just begin to duck out of the meeting at that point. They'll sit down. I've had enough. Mm-hmm. And, and what's actually happening there is you're now experiencing Julian's relationship with God in his personal space corporately. And actually, it's too intense for some people. Because unless you've had a similar experience... You're now becoming aware of stuff in your own heart or in the presence of God in a way that's too much for you. And this happened with, do you guys know, that, do you guys know about Smith Wigglesworth and his prayer meeting in New Zealand? Really famous story about a news, news reader that hears about a Smith Wigglesworth prayer meeting where all these different saints from churches gather and, and they all pray in turn and then Smith begins to pray. And basically the presence of God comes and they all start leaving the room as they're convicted of their own sin until it's Smith and God left in the room. And then this newsreader hears of this story and thinks, I'm going to be in the room and I'm going to stay in there. So, that's, so he eventually he gets the opportunity to go into a room and he goes into the room. Same thing happens. All these different church leaders pray. Smith begins to pray. Presence of God comes. People just begin to duck out as the presence intensifies and intensifies. And then the newsreader and Smith are left in the room. And the report basically writes something like, I had to leave the room or I thought I would die. Hmm. You know, 
Actually, we see that in Scripture. Solomon's temple. The smoke filled the temple. The priests fell down. What do you think happened that day at Pentecost for 3,000 people to be saved, for the language to be, what must we do to be saved? The weight of God's glory came. And so I would like us to practice it now because we're talking about developing a prophetic culture. And so what I'd like us to do is rather than be taught and listen to me, I'd like us to intentionally together worship with the single-mindedness of it's all about you, Jesus. We're lifting up your name. We're not going to pray anything pastorally. We're not going to pray about people. We're not going to pray about nations. We're just going to give glory to Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. So why don't we stand and we'll just, we're going to practice being thermometers rather than thermostats. So I don't really know if any of you guys can sing. So I'll, I will lead a song and then if you can lead a song or you can pray a prayer of extraordinary worship, that would be really helpful. But I want you to take this moment to, to not think, oh, I'm in a prayer meeting, I'm going to be quiet and someone else can pray. I want you to take this moment to practice turning up the temperature in the room. And so right now, why don't you just think through, you know, what is the level in the room? Maybe actually the talk up until this point and the presence of God is only like a two. Maybe it's just quite boring. And, and God wants to turn it up and he wants you to turn it up. And so, Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, we lift your name up, Jesus, in this place. Lord, help us to be those that turn up the presence of God. This is all stuff that you can all do. You know, you can, you can have a group meeting in your home or at the church and you can just keep putting the focus back on Jesus. You can encourage people to sing in tongues. You can do it in a normal way. You know, so I just said we're going to sing in tongues. There's going to be one interpretation. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't unorderly what we did. It wasn't chaotic. It was, it was structured. Um, and obviously, I've just been doing it a long time. And that's why you need to have a little group that you meet with and work it out with so you know you've got a safe place to try some stuff out before you start trying to do it in bigger settings but I do think there's there is this so our friend at the back what he shared wasn't wrong it wasn't wrong what he shared and it wasn't a bad thing because there are five perspectives Ephesians 4 talks about apostolic prophetic pastoral teacher evangelist there you know so someone will bring a word of scripture someone will bring some it's all good it's all God but I think there are moments where we can just push, you know, we're, we're just focused on glory in Jesus. That's, you know, the, the primary emphasis and to push it and to push it and to push it in, until you get to a place that you've not been before. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, when it, wherever you get to a level, there's another level. Mm-hmm. There's another level and another level and another level. And I, I really fundamentally believe that prophetic people and worship people, they're their primary job role is to have amazing encounters in their cars and in their bedrooms that they bring publicly elsewhere. And, and my experience of this is the phenomenon, so like the singing in tongues, the stuff that's a little bit weird, the shaking, that kind of goes up in the church. But when you do it out of the church, the power's there, but the phenomenon isn't. You know, so this, this week, as a, as a case in point, um, my church is partnering with 50 other churches and we're about to do an open air service with about 3,000 people in the city centre and we just felt that we needed to pray as churches together so we started praying at this park where the open service is and a guy walked past us it's 7am in the morning watched us pray sat under a tree and then walked into our circle and said I've got a brain tumour I've heard you praying your prayers sound powerful can you pray for me and then we led him to the Lord 
Wow. Seven a.m. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Two days later, we well, we did it the next day, but nothing like that happened. Uh, on the Friday, we were praying again. Um, same time, seven to eight in the morning, praying. Another guy walks past, stops, starts taking some photos. We walk over to him, chat with him, pray that he has an encounter with the love of God. And he had an encounter with the love of God. He didn't shake. I didn't shake. No one prayed in tongues. But he had a powerful encounter with God. And then he said, can I come to your church? Mm-hmm. Last night, uh, just, we had four hours of worship and prayer at our church. We, we, we were in a little parochial village. There's 2,000 homes on a little village green. Four pubs, one church, one post office, and a Tesco's. You know, it's like proper quaint England. Um, and, and we were worshipping in our chapel, which is like a uh, Methodist chapel. We opened up the doors, so we, our noise was competing with the pubs. Um, and you could hear our noise from the other side of the green as we were worshipping. And we had people who were either on their way to the pub or coming home from the pub come in at the doorstep, see what was going on, tears rolling down their face. They didn't even get prayed for. We just worshipped. We just worshipped. And right now as I'm here, there's a team out on the streets just they're literally out on the streets worshipping they're not actually doing evangelism they've gone to play their guitars and I'm sure God will save people but we we are learning that when we worship in this way where we're all of our worship is upward worship we call it vertical worship in our church like it's all about God it's all about his glory like stuff happens by default like great all those good stories that you want they happen not because you went after the story but because you went after the one who creates the story and they it's like that John 15 passage you know he is the vine and we are the branches and when you worship like that and you're carrying it around when you go and do your food shop stuff just happens all the time and so I actually keep a book of all the stuff that God does through me and often it's just because I've tuned into heaven and if you don't know what heaven's doing you can be damn sure it's worshipping Jesus you know if you don't know what heaven's doing it's definitely worshipping Jesus so if you're not what is heaven doing right now it's worshipping Jesus and it almost like unless it tells you that it's not worshipping Jesus it's worshipping Jesus you know so as a default when we say what is the father doing well he's giving glory to the son you know the elders they're all bowing down that's what heaven is always doing unless the father tells you something different and you can do it really simply so I quite often will go for a coffee and I'll just be like Thank you, God, that you're in this place. And I'm not saying it out loud. I'm not trying to be noticed. But my posture is, God, you're here. You're here. You're here with me. Let me make much of you in this space. And it might just mean I'm a bit nicer to the, cash, the cashier. It might mean I buy someone a coffee. It might mean I do nothing at all. But if your posture is worship, your heart is worship, stuff just often happens by accident around you. And I, I want to encourage us that releasing the kingdom of God is about being connected to the king, not being ambitious. Being a prophetic people is about being in love with Jesus. Mm. And so my, one of my favorite prayers is, God, just I give it all to you again, 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 again. I'm just obsessed. Jesus, it's about you. Jesus, where I love, where I love this. And I, you know, I like, I'd love to have nice holidays. And sometimes I'm driving past people in their nice cars and I think, I'd really like a nice, no, Jesus, let me love you more. You know, because the thing is, it just kind of comes in by the side, doesn't it? Like, you know, you haven't bought any new clothes for six months. and You think, man, I just look like a tramp. I wish I had some new clothes <laughs> or whatever it is for you. You know, we all have our different things that we love. And I'm quite image orientated. So that's one of my things. Um, and so, so I just want to encourage us as prophetic people to be obsessed with the presence of God, the personhood of God. The presence of God and the personhood of God is yeah. the same thing. 
You know, when we talk about pursuing the presence, we're talking about pursuing God. He is his presence. You know, it's not the presence is the fourth part of the Trinity. You know, the presence of God is God. And, you know, we want his presence. Um, we've got five minutes together. I hope, I don't know what you came in, in for. I hope you learned something because we demonstrated something that you can actually take home rather than a teaching that you can forget. Because I could have talked for an hour and you could have remembered one sentence, but you've experienced something. And I would, I would love, I'd love us to pray for you, actually. I'd love Pete and Linda and I just to pray for you. So why don't you just stand, get into your receiving a gift position, whatever that looks like for you. <laughs> and I'm just going to ask Pete and Linda to just pray over you that you would carry a deposit from this conference back to your community, your church, your town, your village, that you would be someone that releases the glory, the presence and the knowledge of Jesus.